This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Exploring and engaging the great outdoors, our national parks and forests. Marcus and I addressed the topic of diversity in our national parks in an earlier show. We're going to return to that topic today to hear from two local leaders working on engaging communities of color with the great outdoors. Stay tuned and we'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. So happy to be here in the studio. Happy to have you all join us. And as always, I'm glad to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, the great outdoors. Oh, what can you tell us about your experiences yeah. with the great um, outdoors? I have to say that um, I, I've never been an avid uh, hiker mm-hmm. or an outdoorsman um, of, of any sort of real um uh, significance. Um, I think my involvement in the outdoors has been restricted mainly to sports, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Track and field, for example, um, other outdoor sports. Um, but I think um, as I get older and I have, I have a young son now, um, I'm living in a, uh, um, an area that is just topographically beautiful, mm-hmm, um, Blue Ridge mm-hmm. Mountains, etc. I've been giving more thought to, okay, how, how can I connect my soon-to-be four-year-old son in well, more okay. substantive ways to the great outdoors, right. right, to these beautiful mountains and to all they have to offer? So. It's interesting with me, you know, you bring that up. It seems like the older I get, the more I want to be outside. Yeah. There's something confining about being <clears throat> indoors. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend so much of our work lives in inside you know and for what we do is for a living as scholars you know that requires us to be in yeah. in spaces that can be confining sometimes so yeah. i want to be outside i enjoy walking i enjoy running this is not something that you know i had a lot of experience with growing up mm-hmm. um and so i remember once before taking my two sons uh, who are older now uh who are adults but when they were younger taking them on to hike through mm-hmm. i think the umstead uh state park down in in the raleigh area and so just you know just how fun it was just to to walk uh to walk through the national park but as we were preparing for this show and thinking about it, I couldn't help but think about that earlier conversation with Audrey yeah. and Frank Peterman. Yeah. And our listeners may re- recall that conversation, but we talked about this issue of how do you get communities of color to be more engaged, actively engaged with, yeah. you know, our national parks, with the outdoors. Yeah. And I think one way to do that is just to uh, begin the process of educating the African-American community about the role, for example, that some African-Americans played right mm-hmm. in the maintenance of some of our national oh, parks. Absolutely. For example, the Buffalo Soldiers and the role they played mm-hmm. with respect to Yosemite and Sequoia National Park in California. So, um, I've I've I've, I've, fa- I've been finding it ironic since that conversation with um, with the Petermans, um, given that kind of history, that that historical nugget, that there is this sort of long-standing estrangement, right, um, or maybe even disinterest um, on the part of the African American community in the great outdoors. Right? You know, Marcus, I can't help. But I think of also of W. E. B. Du Bois yeah. and what Du Bois says about African American communities, especially African Americans after the yeah. Civil War was over and emancipation, yeah. that people moved to urban spaces, and yeah. we are largely an urban people now. I and I have heard stories from people who are here, right here in our local city, who talk about, you know getting kids who are living in these urban spaces out 
yeah. you know, out of these urban spaces into rural areas to kind of engage the outdoors and how they're just like amazed that they've never really been outside of these spaces before yeah. and how transformative yeah. that can be to their perspective. Yeah. And, and, and as someone who is sort of from an urban space, right, in Dayton, Ohio, um, and now that I have, I'm old and have some perspective, I realize that in a way, urban spaces are all about subduing the natural environment. Right. Right. You subdue it and you, 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 you construct things to sort of keep it at bay, keep it away from you. And I think that we're really doing ourselves, um, us urbanites, <laughs> a grave disservice. Okay. Um, and, and I think that it may be high time that we rethink urbanity right. and, and, and what, what urbanity does to, to, to the natural environment and our relationship to it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today with yeah. our two guests uh, who are here to kind of you know, kind of re-engage this conversation again. And they're doing some interesting things here yeah, to actually promote and try to actively get communities of color more actively involved with the great outdoors. So Marcus and I are going to step out for just a quick moment and come back and, right. and start that conversation. Again, this is Waters and Harvest Show. We're here in Asheville, North Carolina, Blue Ridge Public Radio. So glad to have you all here. So glad that you're staying engaged in this this particular conversation. And this is, you know, this is an interesting conversation to talk about, you know, how communities of color engage the great outdoors. Mm. Because there's this assumption mm. that we, that members of communities of color are not that actively involved with the great mm. outdoors. So Marcus and I are really, really glad and honored to have two guests here today. Uh, Dr. Arthur Salito, who is the Executive Director of Community and Economic Engagement and Innovation at Western Carolina University. And we also have Mr. Earl Hunter Jr., the founder and president of Black Folks Camp 2, uh, which is an initiative that he started, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. But welcome to the studio, guys. Thank you for taking the time to come in and join us. Thank you. You know, Earl. Earl, I want to start with you. Yeah, Let's right. start with All you. Right. This is this is an interesting an initiative that you uh, uh, that you have kind of developed here. Can you tell us a little bit about this camping initiative? Yeah. So so first of all, thank you guys for having me on on the show. It's uh, amazing. Like I told you guys earlier, I feel like I've made it because I'm on you guys' show. So <laughs> you do such a good job. But um, again, you know, I, I was actually I'm former the, the former vice president of sales at a, a manufacturing company, uh, camper manufacturing company, Sylvan Sport, which is located in Brevard, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I and I moved to um, the Brevard area from Arkansas, where I was in another company. Mm-hmm. But that's how I got in tune and got into the outdoor industry. Number one, mm-hmm. I was a, a Gucci wearing, Louis Vuitton wearing guy, suit coach, suited up, booted <laughs> up, and then I traded all in for Crocs and uh, King shoes and all that mm-hmm. kind of good stuff. All right. And so my introduction to the outdoor industry was by way of Sylvan Sport. But what made me really drive this initiative to get more black folks out in the outdoors, my son and I, my seven-year-old son and I took a trip around the country, about 14,000 miles around North America. Uh, We were camping for three months, just my son and I, seven years old. And we were at we went to 49 campgrounds around the country, and we only saw one black family. Hmm. As a matter of fact, when we saw that black family, they had only saw one black family. And And we were that you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so my my brain started clicking is that, you know, here I am, one of the only black executives in the 
RV industry or in the manufacturer industry. As a matter of fact, if you Google that, black executive in the RV industry, my name is the only name that comes up. Wow. Which mm. is good for me in a way, but it's also kind of shows where the where the market is and where the industry is where it has not gone. Right. Right. Mm. And so Black Folks Camp 2 is a is a company that actually is created to create inclusiveness into the outdoors. We don't mm. want to just to see black folks camping by themselves. We don't want to see black folks just um, thinking that they have to camp by themselves. We want to make sure that everyone feels like they can huddle around a campfire with everyone, demographic-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we, we, we're we driving that. Right? Okay. So now, now, Earl, this this story about visiting 49 yep. campsites and seeing one black family just knocks me over. And so I I have to ask you this question. What do you think accounts for... Um, what you experienced this 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 scarcity this kind of this relative absence of black families black people engaging the outdoors especially mm-hmm. given the fact that um, when we think about this country's national parks our taxpayer dollars <laughs> so thoughts about this you know girl. so so here's the thing through all the surveys and things we've done um, and I've known this for my great grandmother and my um, my grandmother my great grandmother they just told me so many times Earl don't be going in those woods. You are not you don't belong in the woods. As a kid, it was a lot of generational fear. Mm-hmm. Right. So my great grandmother was was told that to my grandmother. My grandmother told that to my mother. My mother told that to me. And then it became a fear. And if I had not experienced the outdoors myself with my son, I probably would have said the same thing to him. Well, we broke in a generational fear curse on a, in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, though, just kind of keep it real. Black folks. Many black folks have generational fear. They have lack of knowledge. And then for the most part, the industry has not invited black folks to go camping. Mm. I mean, we we typically our dollars matter. And mm-hmm. the industry has not said we want those it's dollars. Right. Right? right. And so right, in, in, in regards to the national and state parks, you know, I, I told you guys earlier, we did a survey uh, with my um, on my Facebook page. Right. And uh, I already knew the, the answer to it. I asked uh, over 700 of my um, followers, um, do you guys, uh, do you know anything about state and national parks? And only two people have actually felt like they've ever been to one, right? Mm-hmm. And here we are, our dollars are being used to, to pay support, for these, these. support these national and state parks, and we have no clue that we should be using these, and we can use these, and they're safe. Because that's, that, that in itself is another reason. Right, right. right. The, the, the aspect of being safe in the outdoors, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's interesting. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, there's so many ways that we can kind of go with that, right. of, of trying to unpack where where this fear is kind of rooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that's been interested uh, to me, interesting is that my introduction to you has come through author Absolutely. and uh, your relationship with author, and we're kind of in the same industry, all higher education here. And author, just to ask you, um, you have said that it is important for institutions of higher education to be involved in this effort to kind of unravel this narrative or this assumption that African Americans, our people of color, our communities of color, don't engage our national mm-hmm. parks, are to help kind of deepen that engagement from where it is. Why do you think that that is important for higher education or educational institutions in general to be involved in that in, the, in that process? Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Darren, and thank you, Marcus and Earl, for, sure. for allowing me to participate in this discussion this is incredibly important to me personally and i think from a university perspective 
you know, our mission is to change lives, is to educate people, mm-hmm. to stretch people, to get people to think about things that they haven't thought about before. And so this is an incredibly important issue for me personally and for our university. We've done a lot of work in supporting the outdoor recreation industry and creating the talent, creating the workforce, creating um, opportunities for folks. And just like Earl said, that everybody is paying taxes to support these parks. And if we don't, if we don't get the next generation and a bigger demographic interested in these natural resources, we won't be able to keep them. We won't have the advocates. We won't have the interest. And I think that it's, um, you know, we need folks to, to realize the opportunities to enjoy the, you know, creation, what, what's out there. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of folks probably participate in fishing, maybe hunting, mm-hmm. but there's camping, there's climbing, there's ski, you know, snow sports, water sports. And I think higher ed is where thought leadership happens. So it's our responsibility mm-hmm. to be involved in that and to support all communities and to support the work that Earl's doing. It's incredibly important for our region specifically because right. outdoor recreation is so important. It's such a big but, piece of who we are. Right, but least. as a country. Yeah. Um, and so um, it, it is, uh, it's an amazing opportunity for the university to be a part of. And, right. and I'm really happy to be part of this uh, discussion. Are you seeing evidence that institutions of higher education are, are, are really getting that message that, okay, we have a role to play here. And then Earl, I'm interested in your perspective mm-hmm. on higher education <laughs> because you're working with the author. I'm having the privilege and Marcus and I now the privilege of working with you as well right. to see what we can do to help promote this, this work that you're doing because we see it as fundamentally important. Well, so how, you know, how do you both, I mean, Arthur is, are institutions of higher education responding well? Is there more that they need to do? And, and if so, what are some of those things that you would propose that, w- that we be doing? And then, Earl, what's your perspective on institutions of higher education? Yeah, I think, I think slowly higher ed is getting it. We at Western, we are organizing an outdoor inclusion summit on March 18th, and Earl is going to be our keynote and a big part of that. And I think that's an opportunity for us to come together and talk with students about the, you know, the the great opportunities in the outdoors and how we really need to increase the the um, the message to all folks and get people to participate in the in the great opportunities that we have. Mm-hmm. Right. So so there's been a timeline in regards to black folks in that I followed and kind of built my business on this, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, from the 60s to the 70s, you had where black folks were, weren't really, banks weren't giving us money to mm-hmm. buy houses, mm-hmm. right? And so we we were showing our wealth through cars. You know, we kept Cadillac in business. You right. know? <laughs> um, I tell people all the time, you know, this story, the pimps and the preachers, man, were driving these Cadillacs. I'm from, I'm a good times kid, right? I'm a kid, that, um, and, and my wife is a huxtable, right? But I'm a good times kid. And so I understood that, right? And from the 70s to the 80s, we saw this growth of black folks really having ownership, being mm-hmm. able to buy houses in their own communities. As a matter of fact, 
black. I lived in a neighborhood that, but I wanted to aspire to live in this black neighborhood not far from where I live called Meadow Lakes, man. I wanted to live there. Mm-hmm. And then from the 80s to the 90s, black folks started to move out to more inclusive neighborhoods where the schools were felt like were better because the tax money was going right. that way. Right. Well, something happened in the 2000s that let me know that black folks are ready to go camping and ready to enjoy the outdoors. And that was when we started to get passports. We started to get passports and go out of the country. It allowed me to really step back and understand that black folks were not afraid to go out and, and explore. Adventure and explore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. As a matter of fact, the funny story is I was on Facebook probably four years ago and I saw some friends of mine. They were geared up, ready to go to Paris. And they went to Paris so they can take a picture mm-hmm. by the Eiffel Tower, but it was freezing in Paris and they didn't take coats at all. They didn't have any coats. They, <laughs> they didn't really care about the fact that they weren't prepared. They just wanted to go. Right. That being said, once the industry, once the industry comes and basically says, listen, black folks, hmm. we want you to enjoy the outdoor industry. We want you to enjoy the outdoor lifestyle. We invite you to really have an awesome time in the outdoors because the bottom line is black folks don't need permission to go camping. No, right. We right. don't need permission to enjoy the outdoors, but it sure feels good to be invited to something that we do not know. Mm-hmm. It, this is not a race thing. Right. This is a cultural learning opportunity right. for everyone, right? For the right. industry and for black folks. Yes, and so I see the higher education being so much bigger in playing this because at the end of the day, HBCUs right now had, can play a huge part in, in this particular perspective because you have students mm-hmm. who really want to go make this happen. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. really want to go make it happen. You, you, don't, you can't put restraints on students these days in 2020. Right, now, right. They'll rally and do some rallying on campus. And so mm-hmm. I, I look forward to working with Western Carolina, although they're not HBCU, but working with them to really have this inclusive, inclusiveness conversation because it's important. Yeah. Right. right. And, and thinking about this, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if um, the, uh, the the sort of historical um, estrangement that African-Americans have with respect to the natural environment is somehow tied to the fact that um, the American system of slavery mm-hmm. was, was all about um, sort of constructing what, what I would describe as a kind of perverse relationship to the natural the world mm-hmm. um, uh, at the center of which were, were black bodies. And so I think that kind of that kind of uh, perverse sort of um, arrangement may have affected a kind of alienation mm-hmm. um, that we're sort of struggling to recover from. But but that leads to uh, my next question uh, for both of you, um, Arthur and Earl, which has to do with, uh, in both of your capacities, what do you see as, as major challenges or perhaps even barriers to deepening the engagement that, that the communities mm-hmm. of color have mm-hmm. with the natural environment? Well, I think uh, part of it is you have a predominantly white, maybe older uh, population that mm-hmm. is sort of has a the the cultural uh, affinity toward these activities and how do you communicate that how do you be inclusive you know um that's that's always a challenge mm-hmm. and so i think that's one challenge um and then i think maybe and i'm not uh, a sociologist and so i'm definitely not an authority on this but maybe we define the outdoor activities in a certain way uh, I was telling Darren one time that my dad grew up in southern Arizona. He used to ride his horse to school every day. And, you know, very outdoor-oriented lifestyle, hmm. but 
by maybe Western North Carolina standards, that's not an outdoor activity. It's mm-hmm. not kayaking or hiking or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe rethinking what we define as the the outdoor activity is important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and I'm still struck as well, Earl, <clears throat> by what you said about community people from communities of color buying getting passports mm-hmm. and yeah. going overseas yeah. because mm-hmm. it reminds me of that conversation with Frank and Audrey because they said the same thing you know they take this trip to Belize mm-hmm. and um, they were thinking about buying a house in Belize right. and, and then they were asked a question by their tour guide of well what is America really like right. yeah. and he said they couldn't they both said we couldn't answer that question wow. because mm-hmm. we hadn't really taken the time to really explore. explore so then they you know made the decision not to buy a house in belize and then to stay here and to actually tour the united states i'm i'm also you you also remind me and he's how little we know about our own country mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how little we explore and you know and again you addressed this a little bit a few minutes ago and i'm wondering if we could come back to it about tax dollars that are going to support this. Mm-hmm. So the private industry benefits from the fact that these national parks have been created. Absolutely. Right? And these spaces have been created. So is anyone thinking about the fact that, look, you know, public tax dollars are going to support this. When you look at the demographic changes of our country now, and it's becoming much more diverse, then you we need to be actively engaging that community to keep them actively involved or seeing that support for these national parks are, are important. Well, well the, the, the bottom line is, I hear so many people in the industry say, I just didn't know black folks didn't camp. Well, because we, we didn't see black folks camping. We well, black folks don't camp for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Again, again, you didn't, they hadn't been invited. But I've always said this. When black folks have the notion, they figure out that they've been paying taxes on state and national properties, but they have not, been, en- have not been enjoying that. I think we're going to have a bigger problem than anything when that happens because you have to prepare people for what's coming next, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and we, we haven't, the industry hasn't prepared black folks of for what's going on look it's not enough just to say uh well you have that's a state and national park over there but not to un, but to, not to understand understand the fear mm-hmm. of black folks actually going in those public parks <laughs> mm-hmm. not only black folks have to be prepared the people who actually run the state and national parks have to be prepared as well because the rules that happen in state and national parks, like, for instance, many black folks don't know when you start a fire, you need to break the match to make sure that it doesn't ferment into another fire. Right. 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 Those type of things, things about bugs, you know, uh, why we don't go into these state and national parks. And the uproar to me will come not because uh, we don't know. It's because we haven't been told. Mm-hmm. And so the. the I'm always a a person, um, I like to prevent, I'm a very preventive person. And so I think the barrier of entry for black folks in regards to the industry are kind of our campgrounds and isolated Mm -hmm. campgrounds that have amenities Mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're creature of habits. You know, we won't do as much tenting as we will do RVing uh, just because they're that's that's a little more glamping. But the other thing is the notion that black folks have Clearly, many have no idea what an RV looks like inside, and they can actually afford it. Mm-hmm. And so all those things tie in national state parks, private campgrounds, being able to uh, go on to lots and buy RVs, buy tents, buy outdoor gear. All that is seen right now as a white person's activity. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is so far from the truth. 
Yeah. And and I'm I'm thinking about a point you made earlier, Earl, about generational fear mm-hmm. in the black community as one of the as a major barrier to engaging in the natural environment. And I think you, you have begun to sort of uh explain that, but could but could you say more in terms of your thoughts regarding the 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 source of that of mm-hmm. that fear. As a kid, you know, I, I, my grandmother, my great grandmother, lived in Abbeville, South Carolina, and mm-hmm. um, going to Abbeville, South Carolina, I'd be frank with you, I thought probably one of the racist places on on the planet ah, at the time. Okay. Uh, my great grandmother would tell us some stories. My great grandfather, okay. he would tell us a ton of stories, and I would be throwing rocks in the woods, and my great grandmother would just yell, "Get away from those woods!" And I never really understood why she wanted us to get away from those woods until I actually saw some photos that she showed us that some of the horrific things that were happening in the woods. Mm -hmm. And so when you have been told not to go in the woods by your great-grandmother, your great-grandmother tell your grandmother, your your grandmother tell your mother, your mother tell you again, Mm -hmm. what happens is you create this whole entire fear that is so big that it's it's bigger than movies. Mm -hmm. And so we need to have a, a deep, deep discussion on a, a larger level, just like we're doing right now, to say, black folks, you are okay to go in the woods. Right, right. You're okay to go in the campgrounds. Let's go. Let's go have fun. Mm. So Arthur, that's what we're doing. So, Arthur, thinking about this uh, this symposium or this summit that you, you all are going to host, um, is this part of what you're hoping to be able to attack in, in, this, uh, in, the, in this summit? Um, because I think, you know, you and I both know the whole history around, and Earl and, and, and Marcus, you do too, because we've discussed this, the whole history around sundown towns, mm-hmm. all right? You know, people needing to get out. So do you hope to be able to begin the conversation to unravel some of that, uh, some of some of this narrative, uh, that mm-hmm. are some of this history, or to at least address it and find ways to kind of to, to overcome these uh, this historical story in the summit mm-hmm. that, you're, that you'll be hosting? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know— at least to get the conversation started Mm -hmm. and get more people aware, more people involved and grow this summit every year so that we can increase to folks with disabilities, LGBTQ Mm -hmm. plus, um, you know, the Cherokee are incredibly important in the history of outdoor recreation. And, and I think the more we have this conversation, the better for our region and better for the public at large. Mm -hmm. You know, to, just to to piggyback on that, Arthur, I, I really do appreciate Western Carolina University, though, for really stepping up and really talking that talk and walking that walk. Because there are a lot of companies, a lot of uh, universities, a lot of higher education uh, entities are have said we want to do these things. And I said this to Arthur while we we're waiting. Uh, if 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 one more person calls me to have an, a, a diversity training in 2020, <laughs> I'm going to go nuts. Because at the end of the day, if you don't know how to treat people in 2020, we got a problem. Mm-hmm. We, we have a bigger problem in the outdoors, right? Right. And so for, for me, I, I I truly believe that. There are already black folks camping. There are a lot of black folks camping out there, right? Mm-hmm. But again, we just don't see. Them. I just yeah, we just mm-hmm. don't see them because what happens is black folks tend to conjugate with by themselves, and it's kind of a segregated type situation mm-hmm. because again, there's there's some more fear out there. Right. I I can't camp with them, right? Well, the the logo on the our logo has a campfire. And I believe what we're doing right now is the same things that will happen out into the in, in the campgrounds. We have white, black, green, and yellow people standing around, sitting around with s'mores, roasting hot dogs, doing whatever we want to do, singing and all that kind of good stuff. And I believe that the outdoors lifestyle will change 
America. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, mm-hmm. what a powerful I way believe to, kinda, to, to begin to end this conversation mm-hmm. because it's a way of building and strengthening community. And that's the work that, that we're involved in here. How can we transform our communities in a way that are much more inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, much more equitable? And that's, a, that's an important conversation and mm-hmm. a worthwhile conversation to have. So Marcus and I want to thank you both for being here. I can see that this is a conversation thank that you. we have to have again, yeah. but Marcus and I are going to step out and we'll be right back in a moment. Well, again, it's Waters and Harvey Show. Thank you all for joining us, Marcus. That was uh, a rich conversation. Well, I think, was. you know, again, we say this all the time. I know at the end of each show that we really could have gone on with that conversation, yeah. and we'll have to have a follow-up we conversation. Will, we will, we will. And, and I think for me, one takeaway is that what is at stake? One of the things at stake for African American community communities with respect to the, the natural environment is really fostering a deeper sense of place in a deeper sense of belonging, mm. right? Which I think it been, has been stripped from us oh, it, for abs- so long, right? Absolutely. Through the sort of um, techniques and machinations of alienation that were affected or implemented through American slavery. Right. So, so really building a sense of a sense of place, a sense of belonging, a sense of relationship, connection to the land, right? right? Which is something that we've discussed much earlier. And I have a deep appreciation for the work that Earl is doing and, and the partnership that, that they're forming with institutions of higher education. And again, just want to remind our audience that his organization is Black Folks Camp 2. Mm-hmm. And you can go to their website just by using that to kind of look at some of the work that Earl is doing there. And we hope that you will visit it. And we thank you for listening to the show again. And Marcus and I want to remind you that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org on the BPR mobile app and on Apple Music and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter and Marcus and I will look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.